this morning about a rock eternal. Amen. I want to speak to you about the rock of our salvation. And I want to talk to you about the stone that the builders rejected. This morning, I want to speak to you about a stone that was fashioned by the hands of God himself, church. I want to speak to you about a stone that was laid out in Zion, the Bible says, from the foundation of the earth. I want to talk to you about a stone prophesied about by Isaiah in chapter 28, verse 16, where he called it a tried stone. And he called it a precious cornerstone. And he called it a sure foundation for us all. Amen. And Isaiah went on to say that those who put their trust in this stone, those who build their life in this stone, those who have confidence in this stone, they will not be shaken. They will not be disturbed or they will not be moved. Those who build their lives on this stone, Isaiah was saying, will not be moved by the things that come into their life. When you build your lives upon this stone, you won't be moved by situation or circumstance or by the sudden storms that might rise up in your life. And how many of you know there are storms that rise up in our lives? Amen. When you build your lives upon this rock that we're talking about this morning, you won't be moved by feelings or the emotions that so often seem to get the best of us. When you build your life upon this stone that we're talking about this morning, you won't be moved by the difficulties or the disappointments or the discouragements of life because you are fixed upon a rock. Amen. Isaiah said those who build upon this rock won't be disturbed. They won't be shaken. They won't be moved because first, this is a tried stone that we're talking about this morning. I want us to remember that this stone was tested and tempted and tried by the world, by man and by Satan, and was still found to be fully faithful. Amen. It is a tried stone that was put to the test time and time again, and yet it never failed. It was a stone that was put through the ringer and hung out to dry, you might say, and it never failed the test. In today's vernacular, you might say it was a stone that was thrown under the bus, but it never failed the test. This was a stone, church, that was rejected and refused. It is a stone that was abandoned and abused, and yet it never failed the test. Amen? Because Jesus never fails. He never fails us in any circumstance, trial or tribulation we might go through. And I want you to remember that His love was tested time and time again. And yet it never failed. His meek spirit was tested and tried time and time again at the hands of man. And yet it never failed. His patience and his long suffering were tried and tested time and time again. And still are today, even by you and me. And yet it never fails, church. He was tested Uh, His resolve was tested and his obedience was tested and his faithfulness to his father and even to us who he calls his friends was tested time and time again. And yet it never failed. His wisdom was tested and tried by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the the writers and the, the religious and the keepers of the law. And in the midst of all of their questioning, his wisdom never failed. Because Jesus never fails. Amen. Remember, this stone was tempted and tried and tested in the flesh, just like you and me. This stone was tested by trial and tribulation, just like you and me. 
by hardship and heartache, just like you and me, by persecution and by pain, just like you and me. This stone was tested, church, in the flesh by danger and by sword. And yet this stone still stands today. Amen. Because this is a tried stone. This is the stone that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will never change. It is the stone that was and is and is still to come. Amen? This is the stone that is so fixed and firm, the Bible says, that it has no shifting of shadow, no variance to its name. Because it is the rock eternal. It is the stone that the builders rejected, but now it has become the cornerstone of our faith. Isaiah said, not just a cornerstone, but a precious cornerstone. A stone of great and exceeding value, church. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking all about Jesus Christ. If you haven't figured it out, I'm talking all about the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about the one that is more precious than silver, more costly than gold, and more beautiful than diamonds. Amen? Amen. I'm talking about the precious Lamb of God who stepped out of heaven and removed His royal robe and wrapped Himself in rags for you and me instead. You see, He is precious this morning, church, because He made Himself nothing so that you and I could be something. Amen? Amen. And because nothing compares to Him. Please understand, 2,000 years ago, in an obscure little village in a backyard barn, God laid down the foundation of the earth and the foundation of our faith as well. Here in the little town of Bethlehem, God reached down out of heaven with His own hands and He carved out a precious cornerstone for us all. It was God's work, David said in Psalms 118, and it was marvelous to behold. And 2,000 Christmases later, it's just as marvelous, and it's just as precious, and it's just as tested, and it's just as tried, and it's just as true. Amen? And many of you in this house know the, the stone that I'm talking about, because you've been tested, and you've been tried, and because you have established your life on this cornerstone, you've made it through. Amen? And will make it through again. And now, whosoever believes on Him shall be saved. And now, whosoever builds on Him shall not be moved, according to Isaiah chapter 28. Because when Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives, He becomes the fundamental stone that structurally holds the entire building together. If you've ever seen an old Roman archway, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The cornerstone or the capstone is the triangular stone that sits in the middle of two arches and balances the two sides together so that they might stand and stand strong. And together it bears the weight of the entire structure. All of the weight of all of those buildings that were erected rested on the cornerstone, church. So if you remove that one stone... The whole thing would fall apart. If you remove that one stone, the whole house would come tumbling down. If you remove that one stone, the walls themselves would not stand. 
And in the same way, without Jesus, the precious cornerstone being fitted into our lives, according to Ephesians 4.16, without Jesus being the stone that holds it all together, our lives will crumble as well. Without Jesus being fitted into our marriage, our marriages won't stand. Without Jesus, the precious cornerstone, being perfectly fitted into our families and into our finances, church, none of those things will stand. Without Jesus, the precious cornerstone, being fitted into our school system and fitted into our government and fitted into our society and fitted into everything about who we are. Without this precious cornerstone being perfectly fitted into our lives, everything about us will crumble. We can only stand so long in our own strength. We can only bear the weight of trials and tribulations so long. We can only bear the weight of the circumstances of life so long. And it's why we need this precious cornerstone to be fitted into our lives. So that we can endure to the end, church, and receive a great reward. Understand that Jesus is the cornerstone and the only stone that brings God and man together. Because there's no other way to the Father than through Him. Amen? Because He is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life. He is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus Christ is what bridges the gap between God and fallen man. And that's you and me. And the only way for us is fallen man. To stand side by side with God, to stand up with God, is through the precious cornerstone of Jesus Christ that holds us all together. Understand, Christ alone is what enables us to stand and stand firm before the Lord. You see, the rest of the world, when they come before God on that great and glorious and terrible day, the rest of the world, those who do not have that precious cornerstone fitted into their lives, they will fall. They will crumble. They will not bear up in the presence of God. But those, church, who have Him fit into their lives, the Bible says they will stand. They will stand firm and they will stand blameless before the Lord, church. And they will stand there with great joy. You see, I want you to understand this morning that the joy of this world and the joy that we sing about is all based on this precious cornerstone that was carved out by the hands of man 2,000 years ago and laid down in a manger as the foundation of our faith. And when you have him established in your life, you will stand, church. Remember, without Christ, the Old Testament law could not stand because it was impossible to keep. The Old Testament law by itself could not stand, church. And without Christ, man can't stand before God either because we would collapse under the weight of our sin. But Christ allows us to stand together because He is the cornerstone. He allows both God and man to stand together once again as Adam did in the garden prior to sin, church. Nothing else and no one else can bring us together with God other than the cornerstone. No one can bear the weight of the world and our sin other than this precious cornerstone, church. It's why 2,000 years ago, unto us a child was born. It's why 2,000 years ago, unto us a son was given. And it's why that same son went to the cross, church. 
so that he would truly become the cornerstone of our life and the sure foundation for us to build upon. So as I close, I want you to remember one more thing, and that is that Jesus laid down his own life. No one took it from him. No one forced it from him. Jesus said, I laid down my life all on my own. And it's why he was able to say, as he hung suspended between both God and man, it's why he was able to say as he hung suspended between two other cross as the cornerstone, church. It's why he was able to say as he hung between heaven and earth, these three words, it is finished. Jesus said the work, amen. Bless the Lord. Jesus said the work is now done and my job is complete. And the final stone was set into place. And the stone that the builders rejected because of that, church, has now become the cornerstone of our lives. Because of Him, we can stand up with God. Because of Him, we can stand up and sing. Because of Him, we can stand up blameless with great joy and celebrate the reason of Christmas this morning. Because of Him, church, we can celebrate the birth and the death and the life of Jesus Christ. So this morning I'm asking you to stand up with me and celebrate the cornerstone of our Christmas with another time of praise and worship. God bless you. You know, they say in a production, whether a theater or music or uh, even on film, that people in their mind, they remember most the beginning and the end. And somewhere in the middle, the ADD syndrome kicks in and we forget about what takes place in the middle. But might I remind somebody, there ain't nothing like an Oreo cookie without the cream. There ain't nothing about a sandwich better than the meat between the bread. Somebody say amen. So you ought to wake up this morning because there's something relevant about being a living stone. Somebody shout hallelujah. Don't miss it this morning. Don't fall asleep on me. Amen. All right. You got to stay awake. It's important here. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there quickly. I'm just going to reference this. Uh, Peter in his writing says, come to him a living stone. Somebody say living stone. Living. Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Somebody say spiritual house. The Bible goes on to say to become a royal or holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. See, I am laying in Zion a stone. A cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The concept of living stones is somewhat of a oxymoron. Now, the thought of a literal stone, by the time it would become a stone, would seem to be anything but living. Stones are the end result of cooling magma or deposits of sediment or even pressure and heat applied to already existing rocks. 
Their overwhelming characteristic is that of solidity. They are firm and sturdy and tough. Stones are rock hard. In every sense of the word, they are rigid and compact. And at times, they can be difficult to work with, mainly because there's no flex to a stone. Now, I don't know about you, but I learned watching Sesame Street as a kid what the requirements are for something to be considered alive or living. It eats, it breathes, and it grows. Stones do none of these. Yet Simon Peter tells us in the scripture that I just read... That we are to become living stones. Now, he might know a little bit about this subject matter, not because in college he studied the archaeological geology of rocks and stones, but because in his very first meeting with Jesus Christ, when he began his relationship with Jesus, Christ told Simon that his new name would be Peter, which means the rock. So Peter tells us that we are to become living stones. And the overpowering uh, concept of these living stones is that they can be built into something significant. Not just useful, but something significantly glorious. Living stones sounds like a winning combination. Living means to be growing and changing and flexible and adaptable. Stone means solid and reliable and durable. And Peter says that as living stones, we should be built into a spiritual house. The very purpose of South Metro Ministries is to be a spiritual house. Now, this language is lofty language. It's almost on the verge of losing us because it contains words and concepts that we're not really familiar with. Some of us are even foreign to this. It might even make us a little uncomfortable. But if God's house is going to become a spiritual house and we are to become a royal priesthood, then we must become living stones. But in the church... We've got the living, and we've got the stones. I'm about to preach up in this house. My iPhone says I got four minutes. Jesus, help me and multiply the time. The living, well, they're growing, and they're changing, and they're flexible, and adaptable, and pliable and compliant and every other synonym that you and I can use, but they're not solid alone. They're not durable or reliable. You can't depend on just the living or on this group of people. They can't completely be trusted by themselves because it's this group of people that may not completely be grounded. You're about to see that as we build a church. A lot of living folk are going to come because, well, we're growing and we're changing. But by themselves, they can't truly be trusted because they're not completely grounded. Somebody say amen. amen. And then we've got the stones. Now, if your last name is the stones, I apologize for using this metaphor. <laughs> but you've got the stones. Now, the stones in the church, they can be counted on. The stones in the church, they're the ones that we can depend on. They aren't going anywhere. They've been around this rodeo for a long time and they love their church, but they love their church the way it is. 
They're not flexible. They're not changing. They might even be stuck in their ways. You better not be singing no new choruses, brother. You mean to tell me I've got to give up my seat? I've been sitting here for X... We should refer to this group of people as the tombstones because they're dead. You want to build a what kind of church? You want to build a what kind of youth facility? I think we're okay right where we are. (laughs) Two minutes, 18 seconds. So what's the biggest problem with the stone group? The biggest problem is they're dead. We try and implement change and you think that the church was the enemy. Actually, and I said this, it'd be better to refer to them as the tombstones because they're dead. But what the Apostle Peter is saying to us is that if we want to build a spiritual house, we must combine the best of both worlds. Somebody say amen. To be a living stone is to be solid and reliable and yet growing and changing. Let me challenge you with this thought. What better material could there be for building God's church? What better material could there be for building Christ in our own lives? When we become too rigid, we shatter and break. When we flex and change too much, we weaken and dissolve. But living stones provide both stability and flexible change for growth. And so Peter suggests that we, like living stones, let ourselves be built into a spiritual house to become a royal, holy priesthood. So my challenge to you this morning is to offer yourself as a living stone. Can you say amen? In Revelations 2 and 17, Jesus said, To him that overcomes, I will give a white stone. And on that stone, a new name written, which no one except him who receives it will know. You see, Jesus said, when it's all said and done, the rapture's taken place. Because the the story's not finished. The fifth candle, the center candle, represents the rest of the story. Oh, what is the rest of the story? I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren and sisters. Concerning the coming of the Lord. For the trumpet's going to sound. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. It's called the rapture. And all of us who are alive and remain while the dead folks are brought out of the grave and given a glorified body as they ascend, the rest of us are going to be caught up together to meet them in the clouds and so shall we all be with the Lord. That's just the beginning of the rest of the story. The rapture. And he says, when you get up there, I'm going to give you a white stone. 
I, I don't know if it's going to look like this. It's closest to what I, I could depict. But you'll have a white stone. There's not a lot of uh, concrete interpretation about what the white stone means as far as what scholars would like to agree on. So I'm just going to stick with the Bible. Scholars can mess things up sometimes. So Jesus promised the faithful believers that they'll be given a white stone with a new name inscribed on it. We used to sing a song in the church. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And a white-robed angel sing the story. A sinner has come home. Hastily. One writer says, and I, I would agree with this in my study, that, that the white stone represents admission to a feast. In, in, ancient, in the ancient world, stones were significant. And that's why we've chosen this theme today. And I'm grateful to my wife, Miss Valerie, upon listening to the Holy Spirit and sharing this inspiration with me is why we've come this direction. <laughs> I've always known she's a better preacher than me, but it hurts when it comes out so clearly. <laughs> in the ancient world, polished black and white stones small polished white and black stones were used to cast votes in elections and even when there were jury trials the jurors would have a white and a black stone polished and that's how they vote small stones engraved with secret names of gods a god were carried by some people as amulets and it was supposed to protect them another use of small stones was that wealthy benefactors and government agents gave engraved stones that entitled the persons who had the stones to access to food or the public treasury for financial assistance or persons who were given stones that were properly engraved by government agents or benefactors could even use those stones for admission to a certain sporting events or concerts. Engraved small stones were even given to victorious athletes like in the ancient Olympics. Athletes and gladiators upon the accomplishment of their Sporting task. Being the winner would give a, a engraven stone. And they would then have also the privilege of uh, in having free admission to feasts and other events. And so uh, I return to this idea because I think it's grounded in the word of God. That the white stone which Jesus will award to the overcomers will be used to gain admission to a special feast. That will be held in Jesus' honor. Does the Bible talk about a special feast that will be held in Jesus' honor anywhere in the scriptures? Yes, it does more than once. But more particularly in Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 through 9. The Bible talks about that the Lord himself will, will, uh, will bring his bride home. You and I are the bride of Christ. 
And in Revelations it said he will grant to his bride. Everybody saved is, is known as the bride of Christ. He will array us in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Listen to this. Verse 9 of Revelations 19. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many knows if you're born again, you're going to attend that feast? Give the Lord a hand clap, somebody. I, I might tell you, though, that the interpretation is you just can't walk into that feast any old kind of way. You've got to have the white stone. And, and, and I've come to understand and appreciate that there may be two, two reasons that we can uh, look to or interpretations is a better way as to what the name on the white stone is. And I'm hurrying. Maybe the name on the white stone will be the name of Jesus. That will be the, the new name that we will have of Jesus. Because when the name of Jesus is used, it gives us entrance into the resources of Jesus. Can I get an amen? So, so maybe he'll give us the, the, the white stone because the only name you need to use to get to eternal life is the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? The only entrance you need from death's door into life eternal door is the name of Jesus. The only access you need to heaven is not the name of the Queen of England or the President of the United States or the person who's the CEO of some large company. If you have the name of Jesus emblazed upon your forehead or your heart or the white stone the angel at the gate so to speak will say come on in you have fought a good fight you have run the race you have finished the course enter in to the joy of the Lord because you have the white stone with his name and, and you might know that if you need a ticket to get there this is it this is it it may be that the white stone will be your ticket to heaven but nobody gets to heaven without going through Jesus. You don't know and I don't know the day or the hour of His coming. We don't know how soon, how near we are to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My concluding thoughts is are you ready? Is everybody ready if you were to die before Christmas? That you'll know that if I die, I'll open my arm, my eyes in the arms of the Savior. Or oh, is everybody ready that if Jesus came this Christmas for the second time, with the trumpet sounding and the dead rising, and we caught up, that you'll be raptured? It was the night before Jesus came. And all through the house, not a creature was praying. Not one in the house. Their Bibles were laid on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby in her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. What to my wondering eyes would appear? But angels proclaiming that Jesus is here. 
with a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray I knew in a moment this must be the day the light of his face made me cover my head it was Jesus returning just as he said and though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth I cried when I saw him in spite of myself in the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man the people whose name were written with love he gathered to take his father above I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight Oh, if only I had been ready. Ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There is only one life. And when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. If you're ready, thank you. Bow your heads. Pastor, I want to be ready. I'm not sure I am. Raise your hands if that's you. I want to be ready. I want to be sure I'm ready. Raise your hands. Ten seconds, all I have. Thank you. Numbers of hands. Thank you. Thank you. Hold it up a little higher. Thank you, Jesus. Put them down. And Lord, I pray for everyone that raised their hands. I pray for the washing and the cleansing of their life by the blood of Jesus. I pray, oh God, that this Christmas will be the greatest ever in their life because they've come back to the cornerstone. And they're being made into living stones. And not long from now, they'll be given a white stone. If you've raised your hand, you tell Jesus right now, I confess that I have sinned and I need you to save me. Thank you for doing it. Tell him right now, God, I confess that I've sinned and I need you to save me. Save me, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And bless your name.